Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Fernando Mayo works in fine Patanegra ham as well as wine. Lucky man, and has been one of the key figures behind the emergence of the Sierra de Salamanca region in Castilla y León. Listen to us chat about the unique qualities of the Rufete grape, both red and white, how he rescued 131 abandoned vineyards, his love of kite surfing in red burgundy, and his desire to express the unique terroir of the natural park that surrounds his winery. Hi, Fernando, how are you? And welcome to the podcast. Hello, very well. Thank you. Where are you at the moment? I, mean, I think you're in Spain, aren't you? Yes, I'm in Spain. I'm in Salamanca, in the city of Salamanca. Lucky you. I mean, you spend a lot of time traveling there. I mean, 50% of the time you're out of the country, right? Uh, mostly, yeah. Most of the time, most of the years, yes. I'm about 50% of the time in Spain and 50% um, traveling around the world, yeah. And we'll find out why later, because you've got a connection with something which isn't just wine. Obviously, you're selling your wine, but you also got another connection, which let's discuss that later. Just tell us about where you were brought up and where were you born? Were you born in Salamanca? Yes, I was born here in Salamanca, and uh, but also... Um, I, I, I spent every weekend and all the summers in in the village for my for my ancestors, uh, which is in Sequeros in Sierra de Francia, and uh, this is a fantastic uh, place. It's a natural park south of Salamanca, uh, about seventy five kilometers from Salamanca, uh, where I can say uh, I also go up there because all my my weekends, my fun, yeah. Okay, so. Bit of the city and a bit of, and, and a bit of the country. And um, um, were your parents involved in wine at all? They weren't wine people, were they? No, they were not. They were not. But uh, my great grandparents used to to cultivate vines like everybody did in in that region, right? But not my parents, no, and not my great, not my grandparents. Yeah. But they they also introduced me. They did introduce me to wine, to the world of wine, but from the from the drinking side, not from the not from the production side. And, and what did they drink? What, what did they introduce you to? Okay, I was very lucky because my my uncle Jose Luis he was notary in Peñafiel, so he he introduced me straight to the very good wines he used to bring from there. So at that time, uh, we're talking about maybe forty years ago, uh, he he was bringing Protos and Vega Sicilia from Peñafiel. And this was my introduction to the world of wine, together with the wines I drank in Sierra de Francia, mm. which was probably the opposite. We the people used to drink wine there in a tin of sardines. It was the tradition of of drinking wine there. Well, so you the, would drink the, out the of a tin of sardines. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is the way the the people drink in Sierra de Francia. The local wines made a home there. And uh, that, that was the way to, to drink it, having fun with friends and with chorizo. Oh, I love it. So, I mean, you, you were drinking the first wines from the new DO of Ribera del Duero, really, in 1982, if you were taking, well, Protos existed before, and so did Vega Cecilia, but it was just when the DO was starting, wasn't it, in Ribera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, w- I was lucky. Mm. And you studied biology at the University of Salamanca, where you were born and brought up. And what was your idea once you left? Did you think, hey, I want to go into food? Could you have gone into, uh, you know, was it food technology that interested you? Or what else did you have in mind? Uh, yes. When I was studying, I, stu- I started to study biology because I love animals and birds and and like like every child, right? When they decide to study biology is because you're attraction for nature. Then once I started to, to study, I feel a lot of attraction for microbiology. And uh, I also was interested in microbiological industrial processes. Uh, I didn't have clear what I wanted to do, so I started to to work with researches in microbiology, and then I, I started to travel. I started to to go to study abroad, and I like everything. I like so many things. Finally, I focus on on on, on trade more than anything else. After uh, spending some time in uh, in research. After also was working in, um, in a brewery in Germany, where I learned something about uh, quality control and microbiology of the of the beer making. And but my my first steps after after the university uh, was uh, in the science side, and at the same time I was I was doing this. Uh, uh, I was I was learning about. Uh, uh, science about microbiology i was started to make some business some trade business with with germany so both 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 words together T- tell us a bit more about the brewery because i noticed that on your cv very interesting that you were brewing a beer in germany similarities between beer and wine and differences i mean can you tell us was there anything you thought hey yeah this reminds me of a bit of wine and the wines i've tasted or the way they were made mm, really i think of course um Small breweries may be closer to wineries, but normally when I I was working in Eichbaum Brauerei, it was a super big uh, brewery. They make everything perfect there, mm. uh, but it was more a kind of uh, industrial pro- process. Mm. And uh, in the in the wine business that I'm now is is also the opposite. So we is uh, uh, everything is handmade, everything is handcraft. So there are some similarities because in both cases are f- fermentations, but uh, in the wine, the, the product is main, mainly made in the vineyard, and in the in the beer sector, I think it's more in the in the cooking side of the of the process, right? So. I think you're true. It's, you're right. It's it's more it's brewery driven in a way because a lot of the of, of the ingredients you're using for beer, I mean, are not necessarily dependent on on harvest. Sorry, well, they are a little bit, but it's not like you have vintage every year in the same way. Exactly, I agree. Tell us a bit about this Agri-Food Export Consortium. I think it was the first in Spain that in 1992 you founded something called Spanish Delicious Morsels. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. What was that? <laughs> yes. So when I was when I was traveling, when I was still in the university, um, I, I, I went to Germany and I was studying there. I, I was in the brewery. I was in the Center for Molecular Biology in Heidelberg. And at the same time, I wanted to do some business. I wanted to, I, I, I feel attraction for business. So I, I, um, I went to, in Salamanca, it's a, it's a very not well-known product, uh, area for producing ham and sausages. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I just visited some, some companies 
that they said they wanted to export uh, their products to, to other countries. And I started to put them in touch with, uh, with German companies. The problem is that at that time, they didn't have the, um, the authorization to, to sell in Europe. So uh, all the work I did was, was for nothing because uh, after putting them together, they couldn't sell. So finally, I decided to uh, find out uh, companies that had the permission. And I put together not only um, a ham producer, Montenevado, mm-hmm. but I, I also uh, was looking for a very high quality olive oil, a good uh, Bonito del Norte tuna producer and anchovies from near San Sebastian from Mutrico called Busto. Uh, the olive oil was from Jaén or Omagina. I also introduced in this group uh, a winery from Rueda. Viña at that time was Bodega Santaño. And so, and also a, a pate producer from uh, Navarra, Martico. So these were the, the first um, companies I put together and we created this consortium to go abroad together mm. and to present the products with one one common image of high quality. Uh, and uh, now you can find uh, Spanish products everywhere. Mm. But in 1992, it uh, was not so so frequent to, to, to do that. So, yeah, that was why was the, the first consortium. Yeah, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why you travel 50% of the year is you're the international director for Monte Nevado, you've mentioned, which is one of the top um, ham producers in, in, in the country. Just tell us a little bit, for people who don't know about, about Spanish ham, and I love Spanish ham, uh-huh. uh, is it worth paying extra for pata negra, which is supposed to be the best ham? And just tell us why acorns are so important to Pata Negra, to the best Pata Negra? Of course, I think it's very wealthy. Uh, the flavor and the taste of a very good Pata Negra uh, uh, made with an acorn-fed uh, pig is, is really outstanding. Mm. So uh, the, the acorn, the bellota, uh, is, is the main, is the main um, food that the pigs are eating during Montanera season, so which lasts for three or four months. So um, the, the acorns, together with the grass, the pig is eating, and the, the way they live, free range, the exercise they make, makes the meat so particular and so different and so special uh, to be cured for a long time that the, 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 the final result, the final product is really amazing. And where are the best regions for ham? You've mentioned Salamanca, but where else? I mean, Jaén is good for ham, isn't it? Um, okay, the, the, we, we can talk about two differences. One is the, 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 the best places to breed the pigs and the best places to cure the meat, which are not necessarily the same, right? So the best areas for producing, for breeding pigs in Spain is where you have the best acorns. And this is probably in, uh, in the area of Extremadura, but also in Cordoba, in Los Pedroches. Mm. These are the, probably two, two of, the, of the best regions. And then to cue the ham, uh, Guijuelo is uh, in Salamanca and Segovia and also uh, Jabugo and also in the mountains of Extremadura are very good places for, for aging the hams for a long time. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1999, you founded Viñas del Cambrico, which is we're going to talk about now. I just wondered what inspired you to do it. Was it the fact that you'd gone there as a kid and, and that your great-grandparents had had, had had vineyards? What, what made you want to go back there and do wine? 
Yes, yes. So I think there, there's been many factors that influenced me to make, uh, to, to start the project of Cambrico. Mm -hmm. This is one of them, of course, is the most important. I grew up in, in, in Sierra de Francia. Mm -hmm. Everything tastes amazing there. Tomatoes, cherries, uh, lectus, everything, uh, plums, everything you, you eat from there tastes different to everything you can buy in the store. So uh, grapes as well. Uh, on, on the other hand, I was uh, in 1999, I was already, um, I, I had been working in the wine business for, for a while, right? Ex exporting wines from Spain. And I had been visiting cellars uh, in, in several countries. Mm. And uh, I, I, I saw no reason why we couldn't make something very special in Sierra de Francia also with the wine. The only reason why uh, there was not a, let's say, an important wine there is because nobody tried before. Mm -hmm. So that that inspires me. The, 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 the visits of all different wineries like uh, Opus One or um, the, the, the fact of having of have been tasting amazing wines from different countries. I say, why not? Why not in Sierra de Francia? There is, I don't think there is a reason why we cannot make something very good and very special. So, so Sierra de Francia had vineyards, didn't it? I mean, some of the vineyards you, you use are 100 years old, but, but no producers? What were, people, what were people doing with the grapes? Drinking them themselves or what? Turning them into their own wine? Was it like house wine? Um, traditionally, okay, the, the, the wines are, the, the, the vines are cultivated in our area before Romans. There are a lot of rests that, uh, shows that, uh, uh, the, the wine was one of the main things that people. And these are remains did. of what, lagars or, or presses yeah, or things the like lagars, that. Yeah, lagars. There are yeah. more than 120 lagars uh, mm. dated from Romans and before Romans, uh, in our, in our region. So yes, the problem is that, uh, uh, all the cult all the, the all the, the vines are on terraces. So, mm -hmm. in the in the fifties, when 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 tractors came, the, in in the region there was no way to to do it mechanically. So everything has to be done by hand, mm -hmm. and uh, no no winery with uh, with uh, with knowledge of with some technology or with the aim of making something of high quality arrive in the region. So the people just make wine home and um, the wine the people used to make was delicious until March. And then unfortunately normally it was spoiled because they used to 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 ferment the wine in the same barrel they they used the from maybe a hundred years and yeah. so it was a spoil afterwards so the wine was very good at the beginning and then normally it was a spoil and then and, um, they it was it was drunk uh, locally and, and sold locally but uh, uh there were few few wineries at that time there were just two cooperatives making wine one, one was not a cooperative but what, what it was working mostly like a cooperative so I don't think they were pointing of uh, making a high quality product. They were uh, looking for something with making volume and, and people were concerned about alcohol. They thought it was good. So they like to have alcoholic wines and <laughs> they didn't focus at that time on. on and and a, a lot of the vineyards have been abandoned, haven't they? 
Yes, but probably is ninety percent. Wow. So now in the deal we have just uh, one hundred and twenty hectares. Uh, sorry, two hundred hectares uh, inscribed in the in the deal. I think it's one of the smallest deals probably in Spain. Just tell us a little bit about it. I mean, you call it Sierra de Francia, French Sierra Mountain. Um, sometimes it's called Sierra de Salamanca, and that's the name of the Dio, isn't it? Just tell us where it is in relation to 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 Madrid and maybe to Salamanca itself, the city. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, south of Salamanca, um, seventy five kilometers, which is about uh, approximately forty miles, and it's west of Madrid. But it's the same latitude like Madrid and Port, but with a high elevation. It is that uh, in the DO we have vineyards starting from four, 400 meters up to 900 meters. But the, the, the quality, probably you found the best quality between 700 and, and 800 meters. Mm-hmm. So it's a natural park. It's one of the largest nat- natural parks in mm-hmm. Spain because uh, there are several um, mm, several natural parks joined together. So Sierra de Francia, Quilamas, and Batuecas. And all together form a huge, uh, a huge area, which is uh, biosphere uh, reserve. So, so it's quite remote in a way, isn't it? Yes, it is. Las Batuecas is considered one of the most re- remote uh, areas in, in, in the country. So, yeah, it, it, it's been isolated for centuries. And uh, this is also one of the facts that uh, has a low uh nature to maintain also the the natural uh the natural variety i mean the original the indigenous varieties we work with and you're, you're on the meseta the central plateau of spain uh, mm-hmm. what are the major climatic influences uh on, on you there is it altitude that's giving you your particular character it's a very different. So in, in 20 kilometers from when you drive from, from Salamanca to the Sierra, mm-hmm. you arrive to a village called Tamames. And just from Tamames, the weather changed completely. So in Salamanca and the surroundings, the rainfall per year is about 500 milliliters. While in Sierra de Francia, the average is about 1000. So we have twice the rain, like uh, only 50 kilometers away. And it is because of the altitude and it is also because we get closer to the, to the, to the south and to the, to the uh, Gredos mountain system. So we have a lot of influence from Atlantic and we have some influence from, from continental, but mm-hmm. in the valleys we have more Mediterranean uh, climate. Mm-hmm. So in our area, we have a combination of Atlantic and Mediterranean climate. So we have um, oak trees in the highest elevations, and we have uh, olive trees and Mediterranean variety of of flowers uh, in the in the a little bit lower. So in the wines also, I think we, we, we also have this influence of the, of the yeah. two climates. And you, you get big diurnal variation, don't you? A little bit like Ribera del Duero, whereas in summer it can be very hot during the day, but pretty cool at night. You know, you can, you can be down at 10, 12 degrees, yeah? Exactly. Maybe we don't go so deep as in Ribera del Duero, mm. but, but yes, uh, we have in the nights normally uh, 13, 15 Celsius, and during the day uh, about 30 is normal. And what about soil types? I mean, you've got some things in common with Gredos as well, haven't you? Yes. In fact, uh, Sierra de Francia is, is, is a part of the central system, like Gredos. Mm-hmm. So we have um, basically granitic soils, but in 
areas of our DO, we have a slate. Uh, we have a slate that uh, uh, was was settled in the Cambrian era. That's why we we call the winery Cambrico from the from the Cambrian era, that where the where the soils were 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 formed and we have uh, fossils from from that period you can clearly see especially in sierra de francia you can see the crucianas which are the rest of the trilobites that uh, used to live around when when this was a, a sumeric uh, ocean i'm five- coming to i'm coming to visit you this year because i'm giving a speech in salamanca and and i love your wine so i really want to see this region I really just, happy. Yeah. just tell me a little bit about vintage variation um do the best vintages tend to be the warmer vintages i mean is that something you could observe my taste maybe it depends on on, on on the perception but but i like i like cool cooler right when i was a kid it was much cooler than now um right now uh, the, the the end of the summers are getting are getting a little bit warmer especially from from the middle of august mm. and that's climate change really it's happening all over spain isn't it and elsewhere mm-hmm. obviously yes yes so yes um i i like cool cooler cooler summers to to be able to harvest a bit later mm. with a slower ripening and this is this is my preference when the when the the end of the summer is cooler and we can uh, harvest with a uh, higher acidity we don't like to make alcoholic wines so mm-hmm. uh, when the summer is really hot we get um, an estimation of 15% alcohol mm-hmm. before the end of august when wow. the, when the acidity is still good yeah but we would prefer to have a longer ripening so mm-hmm. there is a variation between years and um also, when when we don't have storms in the summer, the the vines are suffering at the end of the process, at the end of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and you said now you're about two hundred hectares. Just tell us which which grapes are grown in this Sierra de Francia, and are they are these grapes unique to the region? In Sierra de Francia, uh, there are more than I mean, uh, two hundred hectares are the ones in, with the inscri- inscribed in the in the DO. Mm-hmm. I think in the region there may be about uh, maybe one thousand hectares in total, uh, but uh, for the DO, just just two hundred. Yes, there are different grapes. Um, <clears throat> when I started the project, there were many many grapes. Uh, the thing is that I focus only on the indigenous ones. Mm-hmm. So we focus on the Rufete, the Rufete Blanca, on the Calabres, and on the local clone of Tempranillo called Aragonés. Uh, you see, Aragonés is the way they, they call the grape uh, uh, Tempranillo in Portugal. Yeah, with, with the uh, Z, Z not an S, right? <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. So we, we have um, varietal diversity uh, similar to Portugal because our region was, was, was settled by Burgundians. Mm. Uh, in the 11th century and also in Portugal happened at the same time. I mean, at that time there was no border between Portugal and Spain. So it was uh, geographically the same region. Mm -hmm. So yes, in our region, we have uh, these four varieties plus other, many other uh, varieties that people brought, uh, Cariñena and and Tinto Tinto Madrid, they brought uh, Tempranillos with more production. Some people brought other white varieties, especially after Phylloxera. But before Phylloxera, the main varieties were were these ones that we are working with. So mainly Rufete, 
Calabres, these were the main two red varieties, and Rufet de Blanco, that uh, even from that time was called, um, um, it was called Verdejo. Mm. But it's not Verdejo. It's genetically totally different and pelographically it's totally different. The flavor, the skin, everything is totally different from Verdejo. But the people call it Verdejo even from the old times. So, And what, what, tell us a little bit more about Ruffetti because it's a fantastic grape and also about Ruffetti Blanca. Mm-hmm. Is, one, is, the Ruffet, is one a mutation of the other or are they different grape varieties? They're different grape varieties. We... we we use the same name um, after discussing a lot with uh, Itafil, with uh, with the, um, the administration in Castilla Leon. We we had discussions about the name uh, because the, this, especially Rufet de Blanco, was a variety that was not registered uh, some years ago. Was there for centuries, but mm-hmm. not not registered. And uh, they are not they are not the same variety with a mutation. They have some similarities, but they have they also have big differences. So mm-hmm. the main one is that uh, the Ruffete, the red Ruffete, the, we call just Ruffete, has a very thin skin, and um, and uh, this ring um, uh, this this makes the the grapes to have uh, left to, to 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 give to the wine less less color. So. Mm-hmm has uh, less flavonoids and less antocyanins than, than, for example, Tempranillo. Um, it's very aromatic and uh, has a very high and good acidity. Mm. The Ruffetta Blanco uh, has a very thick skin, so in, this is the opposite, and brings a lot of tannicity uh, to the wines. And also, it's not so juicy like the Red Ruffetta. Is where the, the the yield is really low. We when we press depends on the years, right? If it rains a lot, we have more juice. But regular years, we get about fifty five percent only of juice from 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 the grape. So the the clusters in both cases are similar, very very tight. Uh, the grapes are normally small, uh, and the the vine is. Quite similar too, but mm-hmm. it's not the same variety with a mutation. And and ca- in Calabres, is Calabres a clone of Garnacha or is it a different grape? Uh, I wish it was a different grape, but it's not. We we saw the genetic analysis that uh, gave us the information that is is the same grape, but it's a very particular clone of Grenache. Interesting. Tell us about the age of some of your vineyards, some of them over 100 years old. I just wonder if you think that, do old vineyards get the respect that they deserve in Spain? I don't think so, yeah. Um, uh, Maybe this is a, uh, something with a lot of value we have in Spain and we we don't give so much value as, as they have, yeah. Um, in Spain, um, people pay pay money for the brands uh, more than for the terroirs. And uh, they, they don't have probably the appreciation and the value that they, they, they really have because they they produce something so special. When the, when the vine is more than 80 years old, the um, characteristics of the wine you, you can make from there is, is really outstanding. And you've rescued all these these grape varieties, or these are these plots. You've got like 130 plots, I think, that make up your 11 hectares, and these were mostly abandoned, right? So you're you're doing a you're saving these 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 wines from from disappearing. 
We did, yeah. We did. Uh, when we started the project, we were lucky. I wanted to start more uh, with uh, making making vineyards in Sequeros, but in Sequeros, everybody left the vineyards uh, way long time ago, in the 50s, probably. When I arrived there in the 90s, I could find in Villanueva del Conde that people were turning 80, 90, and they were just about to abandon the vineyards. And that's exactly when when we came to, to take over and to recover. We could find some old vineyards already abandoned, but a few of them we were able to recover because uh, once, you, once you leave them, in two, three years, the nature there takes over and then they, they, they die. Because it's so wet, right? I mean, you get so much rainfall. It's wet. Yeah. And also because all the, all the vineyards there are grafted. Mm. Uh, all the vineyards there are grafted. Uh, the, the soil is sandy, but the people grafted uh, everything there. So you don't see in the region um, Pia Franco. Mm. You don't see... I don't know in English, Pierre Franco. Yeah, uh, vines on their own roots. We say, mm-hmm. yeah, and you, and you farm organically, don't you? Is that is that difficult in a region with a thousand millimeters of rain? Do you know, I don't, I don't. It is difficult, but I don't think about any other way. So we're in a natural park, and I don't think I have the the right to spray poison in my vineyards or in any place in the in the natural park. So this is the only way I find to to make uh, wine in in this part in this in our in our place. Yes, some years we are losing because of mildew um high percentage of the production, but that's the way it is. Um on the other hand, uh, I see a lot of advantages yeah. that uh I mean um the, the vineyard is totally uh, equilibrated. The soil is alive. Uh, we don't need to use almost uh, anything except a little bit of, of sulfur and, and caldo bordeles, and that's it. And we don't have any uh, plague from insects because everything is compensated. We have lots of birds. We have a lot of lizards. We have a lot of animals living around. Mm. And, and the most important uh, for, for this part is that we are bringing nature into the bottle. So, yeah, so it's biodiversity, really. Yeah? E- yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and you feel this biodiversity also in, in, in the glass. You feel the aromas of, a, of what you feel in the vineyard, you feel in your glass. Mm-hmm. And I think this is because of a kind of natural way we, we make the wine. And you've got a number of these single vineyard wines in the villages of Villanueva del Conde, you've mentioned uh, where the winery is based, and Garfibue and, and Miranda del Castañar. What, what makes these different, these parcels? Is it soil type? Is it altitude? Is it aspect? Is it all three? What are, is it the grape varieties? Tell us. I think it's uh, just the soil, because the grapes we work with are the same. The altitude and the exposition are very similar. The way we work with the vineyards is the same. So the only factor that changes is the soil. And, and it makes a huge difference between the different, the different vineyards because of the soil. Even with the same age of the, of the vines, the characteristics of the wines are very different because of the soil composition. So uh, in the um, slate, the soil is, uh, the soil is, 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 even more poor than than on the granite, and uh, the fermentation takes longer. 
uh, it affects the flavor because of the longer time of fermentation. But when the grapes come to the vineyard, the flavor of the grapes is, is totally different. Mm. Uh, uh, coming from, from a slate or coming from granite. In the granite, we have more acidity. And in the, um, in the, in the, so in the slate, we have more structure. Interesting. T- tell us a bit about your winemaking style, because your wines, are, I think, are very elegant. Who inspired you as a winemaker? I think I have several inspirations, and I, I've been changing during the years. So first, uh, when when I founded Cambrico, I was not the winemaker. Uh, we, ha- we have a winemaker called Alberto. Uh, he had his own style of making wines, probably with more structure. So I took over and I started to make the wines by myself on 17. And I, I um, during these years, making Cambrico and visiting many wineries, I had... Um, more inspiration from probably uh, b- producers in Burgundy. Mm. I was very lucky to to be distributed in the U.S. by Martine Sunier, mm. and she was uh, she was uh, importing wines, especially mainly basically from from Burgundy. I met a lot of people there, and I had the occasion to try a lot. And um, I think the Ruffetti, um has a very good characteristics to make an elegant wine. So mm. I focus more on, on making wine with more infusion, less extraction, uh, trying not to age in, in uh, new oak because the oak can take over the, the fruit. And, um, okay, I'm in my way. I didn't get it, but uh, <laughs> I'm in my way. I think they're pretty good myself. But, I mean, the fact that you travel means that you're exposed to wines from other places and you can go to other wine regions when you're traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. This is one of my, my favorite things to do, to go to different uh, uh, areas where uh, where the wine is produced and to learn how people make wine there and mm-hmm. and to, to talk to other winemakers. Yeah, that's, that's really very impressive. Which wines do you like to drink? You've mentioned Burgundy. Anything else that you have? To, I mean, if you can afford it, I hope you can. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> no, I cannot. But uh, I mean, once a month, everybody can, <laughs> I can drink a bottle. That's it. Uh, but but uh, I like I like wines from 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 many areas. From Spain, for example, I like a lot uh, Galicia. I like uh, Ribera Sacra. I like uh, I like the Valdeorras. I like ones from Catalonia as well, like Monsan. Mm. I like some Ribera del Duero. I like, uh, yeah, I'm not close to, 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 to one region. I like to try ones from many places. Mm. Yeah, I like uh, Italian wines. Mm. Of course, I like uh, Bar- Barolo, some Barberas, and I like Games from, from Beaujolais, from Morgon, this is also something that uh, is a style that may be similar to the wines we make in Sierra France. Yeah, yeah and, and I think the the wines you're mentioning are very, they're not they're not identical to your wines, but you can see the similarities. I think you mentioning, you know, Barolo and, and some Games and Burgundy and some of the Galician wines, particularly the red wines from Ribera Sacra or maybe Rizbaixas, of you know, of, they're reflected in the wines that you make. Those are just the reds, and I think your white is... Fantastic too. Tell me a little bit about what you think, you know, Sierra de Francia or Salamanca can can bring 
to the Spanish wine scene. Are there more people following you? I know my friend Marcelo Ritamal, mm-hmm. best winemaker and one of the best winemakers in Chile, is now making wine in the Sierra de Salamanca. So he's there. Are you seeing more people coming to the region thinking this has got potential? I, I hope there were more Marcelos coming. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish. And, but the thing is not so easy because it's not easy to find grapes. The, the production is very tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parcels are very small. So it's very difficult to, to, to start a project with your own vineyards, which is very important to, to maintain consistency. Um, and, but now, yes, now we are 15 wineries. Uh, which is is very good. After Fifteen very small wineries, all of, all of us, but everybody looking for quality, uh, focusing on the same target of making wines with finesse. And I think the the DO has um, a good bright future, but will always be we will always be small. That's mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. because here is is really difficult to to cultivate and also uh, starting a plantation takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So we've been working more than 20 years. I don't think I'm going to plant one more uh, vine. That's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) But you've gone from two cooperatives, right? When you started in what, you know, you started in what, 2002? I think your first wines were released in 2004. Two co-ops to now 15 producers. So that's good. It's getting better, right? Yeah, it's getting better, sure. And also the, the taste of, of the wines is getting better and better every year. So, and we, we, we are expecting more people like Marcelo is coming to, and I think they will. I think they will. Probably uh, we, we had um, passed through a um, period that was not the, the best one for, because of the economical crisis and then the, um, the COVID. But I think that everything will come back to to normal and uh, more people will show up in the region, hopefully. D- d- final question. Tell us how you get away from wine and presumably jamon, you know, because jamon is a big bit of your life as well. You love jamon, but ha- what, do you do, what do you do to relax? I never get away. I, when I relax, I always take jamon and wine with me. But <laughs> I love to go kiting, kite surfing. Uh, I do cross-mountain skiing, mountain bike, everything that um, gives me some adrenaline, I love. Ah, okay. So you're an adrenaline junkie, as we say in English. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and just tell us a little bit about Salamanca and this amazing city, university city. Um, where are the best places to go and eat? If people are going to Salamanca for the, for a long weekend, where would you tell them to go and eat? Where they can find your wine, I have to say. They've got to find your wine there, right? Sure. My wine is here in, in several places, fortunately. Okay, there are very good restaurants here. One is called La Parra. Uh, La Parra is now focusing on Iberico, Iberico meat. Mm-hmm. And he's making a full menu dedicated to the Iberico, which is outstanding. It's really fantastic. La Parra like a vine, yeah? Yes, La yeah. Parra like a vine. They got yeah. uh, Michelin star and, and it's really worthy. Very close to Salamanca, there is a place called uh, Rivas in Vega de Tirados. It's 20 kilometers from Salamanca. And they make a traditional kitchen, but uh, with a high, high quality. It's really fantastic, amazing. Um, There are many other restaurants that uh, I could recommend. And tapas bars that... uh, uh, you can come and, 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 and drink wine with jamón and with uh, chorizo, with the typical uh, 
Pinchos from here, Tom Finice, A Rise with Blood. Um, also, sounds, sounds perfect. And I, you've already sold me, as we say in English, on La Parra. And I'm, I'm uh-huh. coming to Salamanca soon. So we're going together. I'm bringing a good bottle of Burgundy. You're going to bring the ham and we're going to celebrate yeah, the success of this amazing project that you've set up in this Hero de Francia, which is amazing. If you've not tried the wines, can people buy them in the UK or not? Anybody listening in the UK? Yes, yes, we uh, we uh, Bergman is our distributor in in the UK, mm-hmm. and the wines are available in the UK. Yes, and anybody wants to contact you, they should go onto your website. Very good website with lots about the history of the region, uh, and they can contact you if they want to find if the wines are available in their market. Um, listen, Fernando, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much My for your pleasure. knowledge and enthusiasm. Your knowledge not just of wine, um, but also of jamón and just what you've done for this incredible region, which really is. Up and coming. I'll see you very soon. In Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I love projects like Fernando's. And if you haven't tasted his wines, ideally with a plate of the best ham on, what are you waiting for? Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is the journalist, commentator, wine lover, legendary rugby player, Brian Moore. Controversy guaranteed. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tim Atkin and on Instagram at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week. <laughs>